Thank you for tuning in. A little pre-show announcement. If you are a first-time listener to Pilots and Petards podcast, do me a favor. Do not let one of our early episodes be the sole judgment of our podcast. Please listen to one of our more recent episodes before you decide to hoist or not hoist us. Thank you. Welcome to Pilots and Petards podcast. This is your co-hoister Jimbo, and joining us as always is our co-hoister Drew. Disclaimer, neither of your co-hoisters are authorized to operate any aircrafts. And for the record, petard is a non-discriminatory word for an explosive used to take out a door or a wall. And to be hoisted on a petard is to be hurt or destroyed by one's own plot or device intended for another. To be quote-unquote blown up by one's own bomb. Here at Pilots and Petards Podcast, we watch television pilots, or the first episode of a series, and we make some critical judgments. We're going to decide whether these pilots are awesome and deserve a watch or a rewatch of the preceding series, or we're going to hoist these pilots on their own petards. Uh, to hoist or not to hoist, that is the question. This episode, we will cast judgment on whether to hoist or not to hoist the two-part pilot episode of the cult favorite Buffy the Vampire Slayer. And before we get into the summary, Drew's going to tell us about his personal experience with Buffy the Vampire Slayer and why we chose that episode. Thanks, Jimbo. Buffy the Vampire Slayer, or BTAVS for, for the hardcores, and I go way back, way back to junior year of school. So that would put me right around like 2000. When I was younger, we had this magazine in our house, Entertainment Weekly. Entertainment Weekly was just going crazy for Buffy, so I was like, I got to give this show a shot. I watched a couple episodes on the WB right before season four, and I got hooked. And I started watching Angel, too. I was super down to find the early seasons, but it was like the early 2000s, so I couldn't catch up on the show. There was no syndication. There were no reruns. And I went to Blockbuster, and I rented the three VHSs they had, but that was only like two episodes from each season. Like, VHS was primitive. Uh, I love the show way too much, and so I actually got into the very, very early file sharing that was going on on the internet in like the early 2000s. I went on some message boards and found out about these things called FTP servers, which is file to something protocol. And basically you had to like have a super specific number to go on someone else's FTP. And then sometimes you had to trade media at like a three to one ratio. So if I uploaded one meg, I got three megs of credit. And so I would upload these like Simpsons episodes like I would upload three of those to be able to download one episode of Buffy. I would then take my Buffy episodes and burn them to information CDs. Maybe I was just way too into it. But I was able to collect all the previous seasons I hadn't seen. I had them in a CD case. I lost the CD case. I want it back so badly. But, you know, it was kind of before DVDs. I went off to college in season six, but I couldn't watch the show because it was then on UPN. And then I ended up finishing the show after college. And so I have very intense fond memories of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, and I'm super psyched to watch the pilot. I I was. I watched the two-part pilot. It was awesome. Well, it was awesome for some reasons and weird for others. Wow. No offense, Drew, but uh, I'm to wonder about you, your junior year of high school. It's a separate issue. Not a lot of interaction with the opposite sex, not a lot of popularity going on, a lot of internet time, a lot of reading Buffy the Vampire Slayer novels they sold at Borders because that was still around. I did not go to parties, the cool ones, or any, really. So there's a little insight to my life. It all makes sense now. <laughs> Low blow. Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and take a point from, from myself on that one. 
So today's pilot summary, Buffy moves to a new town because she previously destroyed her last school and got kicked out due to vampires. Um, she meets an extremely strange British librarian, complete creep. And this guy just creeps on chicks the whole episode. Meanwhile, you know, she meets the mean girls in the high school. She meets the nerds in the high school and the band camp chick is there, of course. Some vampires start popping off. Uh, the master vampire wakes up and is, and is ready to end the world. Buffy and her new crew of nerds in the creepy librarian have to save the world, which they do. Drew, is there anything we should add? There's nothing I will add. I, I so enjoy listening <laughs> to the pilot from someone else's point of view. I love it. It's probably my favorite thing that we do. The only thing I'll add, which is interesting, and this is just for some hardcores or people who want to know more about Buffy after listening, there is a cult 25-minute production pilot, which Joss Whedon, the creator of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, made as a way to market the show to the WB. It is available. Well, not available. You can find it on YouTube. You can find it you know, on some, some bootleg websites. But Joss Whedon himself categorically denied that it'll ever be on a DVD. And in his words, it totally sucks ass. It's basically the first half of the first episode. But Willow is played by someone other than the band camp actress. So now we're going to analyze the show. We're going to look at some of the parts of the show and do a little analysis. Jimbo, what, what were your high points of this pilot, of this two-part pilot? I'm not going to lie, Drew. Uh, I don't have a lot of high, high points. I do like the feminism in the show, and that's going to lead to my MVP. I think in the very first scene, we have the two characters. Everyone is expecting the dude to be the vampire and the chick to be the innocent chick. And uh, the guy's almost like some overt puns about, you know, being in danger and all this stuff. And then when the, the chick is the vampire, I thought that was cool. Like, it gives like a nice feminist lens. So that was one of my high points. I think my high point was, you know, looking at the show from the lens of there being seven seasons and being like deep into it. You're right. There weren't that many standout high points. We'll get to that in a bit. I thought the ambition was there. You're right. The first scene was something you don't usually see. And that's not the genre archetype. So they were kind of pushing past those boundaries. They were trying something different. I thought there was a lot of ambition, a lot of theology being laid down in the first two episodes in the extended pilot. And so, you know, I kind of respected that, that viewing it with a lens of, I kind of know where the story's going. There's a lot of groundwork being laid in the pilot. Not a ton of it's great. Some of it I'll get to in some of my low points, but the fact that they were really going for something and that so many, I respect the, the nerve, the verve, the pep. I think we're gonna have more low points than high points. James, you want to get that started? Sure, I'll I'll just add one more high point. I'll say um, anyone that's really feeling uh, some nostalgia for the '90s, this is a, a pretty cliche <laughs> '90s piece of art, and the music is so '90s. I will consider that a high point. Agreed, definitely agreed. This is a great time capsule pilot. You know, the West Wing was a little bit timeless. Everyone's wearing a suit. But this pilot is very much of the time. And actually, My Name is Earl, for that matter, was kind of timeless, too. Agreed. Oh, no. Buffy the Vampire Slayer is very squarely 1998. And it's in, you're right, it's 1998 in the best ways. Okay, I think, I think we're ready for some low points. Why don't you start us off? 
I agree with you that the parts that reminded me of 1998, like specifically the kind of the music that was played at the club with that dude in the in the they weren't jorts, but they were definitely some I guess high rise pants. I I very much appreciate his outfit. Um, the other music cues though, like the more dramatic music or the music that was supposed to be dramatic, not dramatic and fairly. I don't know what they were going for. I mean, was it? I don't know if it was supposed to be making fun of like 1940s horror movie songs or like musical cues. It didn't completely go for it because in some places I feel like they were going for dramatic musical cues. Almost all of the musical cues that were like related to the story were not great. And so they kind of pulled me out of it and then good makeup, but then just some of the musical cues were terrible. So that's my first low point. If it was a parody, I did not get that. I felt it was just poorly done. I will go into one of my low points. I hate to do this to you, Drew, but I just have like a gauntlet of low points. I'm not even sure where to start. Can I just say cheesy? I mean, the show was like way too cheesy. Like the dialogue, the mean girls, the band camp, the librarian, just like almost everything about the show was just way too cheesy for me. That's fair. And I mean, at the end of the last episode, you were wondering when we would hoist a pilot. You know, we can talk about the art that we super enjoy objectively or as objectively as we want. And it doesn't offend me. Like I, I told you last week <laughs> yeah. that if you wanted to hoist, I, uh, I I might know a show. Yeah, I think I think there's some foreshadowing going on here. There's a bit of foreshadowing. There's foreshadowing last week. But it's it's fun to talk about these things because I, I very much enjoy the show. And a lot of fans do acknowledge and say that this this series picks up in season two but keep going I'll, I'll throw another low point out there yeah you know like there is some creepery creepiness going on in terms of the interactions between uh the genders and between people of different ages the the characters are yeah definitely cr- creepier is the right word looking back because at the time you know you're young and all old people are old but watching it now, you're like, man, Giles is like a 39-year-old hanging out with uh, with some 16-year-olds. And that age range is way creepier because when you're 15, you're like, oh, Giles is old. Because everyone who's old is just yes. somehow older than 35. I'm 33, and I'm like, dude, Giles is younger than 40, and he is in way too many weird situations with teenagers. He's a close talker. Do you ever notice that? He's like always talking really close to Buffy and really close to Bandcamp Chick. Uh, I don't remember her name, so I'm just going to refer to her as Bandcamp Chick. He, dude, he's like close talking them the whole show. It's, dude, it was, it was like borderline disturbing. Like, dude, how do they get away with that Fair. British Fair old librarian guy just creeping on these chicks? What else? You know what? The scenes were just not that good. Like, even like when, when the one dude. One of the nerd guy one, uh, you know, when we first meet him and he's skateboarding along the sidewalk and then he like crashes when he sees Buffy. Like I just there's really not a lot of the show that I like. I mean, I felt like all the scenes were just were just not very good. Just way too cheesy, way too cliche. Like the girl in distress noises a little weird as well. It was, you know, it's like, is she in danger or is she trying to make like a B rated porno film? I could keep going. You know, there's only one black guy and he's, of course, a bouncer. And then he's killed almost instantly. Definitely not a diverse, diverse outing in the in the pilot. And to be fair, not super diverse for the first four ish seasons. And even after that fourth season, 
proportional representation remains a problem. And then the dialogue. I mean, the dialogue's bad. Really bad. I'll come back to that. The dialogue is going to factor into both an MVP-ish idea for me, as well as a dangling thread. Okay. Buffy is dressed like Britney Spears on her first day of school. I mean, I guess it's for young people. I guess they're definitely trying to get the sex appeal, but I just didn't really like Britney Spears, the vampire slayer. I think the last point we should jump into is maybe not necessarily a fair low point because it's going to be of the time, but what did you think of the visual effects? I think it fits right in with the cheesiness and the poor acting. <laughs> Dude, the fight scenes were so bad. Buffy, it's it's obvious that whoever was in charge of the fight scenes had never been in a fight or never watched a real fight before. Buffy never had her hands up. Her hands are always out at her waist. Like she's just waiting for someone to sock her across the face or kick her across the face or, you know, it's just... Jibbo, I want to interrupt because I love that your authenticity issue is with Buffy's defenses and not the vampires, not the undead people, you know, sucking blood and exploding. You're willing to accept that, but you're like, man. Oh, yeah. Buffy is not putting her dukes up. Come on. That's just basic, you know. Anyway, I mean, I did think it was a bit strange that after the vampire, like, was, like, just sucked down, like, three or four people, he didn't have any blood on them. <laughs> Yeah, I think there was definitely some uh, standards and practices, if I'm remembering correctly what the word is for the censors of uh, television show. But yeah, you're right. There was. I was actually surprised by the sound that the vampire made when he like sucked the black bouncers like blood because I was like, ooh, that got past standards and practices. Like that sounded like a bodily fluid. And I mean, it was 1998 on network television. Yeah, I guess. And what's with the vampires, man? I like I like good-looking vampires. These vampires, it's like they're interbreeded with, you know, with Klingons or something like that. I just didn't like the appearance of the vampires. I'm opposite. I thought it was an interesting way to go. In my opinion, as the show goes on, it's used as an interesting narrative device a few times. It's used as a visual metaphor a few times. Yeah, it's like a blatant, it's like too blatant. I just found it unnecessary. I thought it was an interesting visual conceit. At this point, you know, there's a lot of vampirism in popular culture, you know, ranging from the not awesome sparkly vampires in Twilight to the, I don't, I don't know. I would have to think about what I would think to be the best representation of vampires in popular culture. Maybe the Blade films, I think, have pretty cool vampires in them. I would say that at the very least, this would go back to one of my high points, like the ambition. You know, they had a very specific visual look and they stuck with it. I'm kind of more down with that aspect of the visual effects, but yeah, some things were real bad. I did not like the freeze frame between the first and second episode of the pilot. I didn't think it was flattering to the the makeup people. I was like, ooh, that's yeah, a freeze agreed. frame and highlight, harsh light. It's it's kind of awkward, but I mean, if you compare it to the West Wing, I know that's one it's one year difference, but the quality is like day and night. That's fair. Uh, but you, you do have to take into account the networks. You know, that's the WB versus NBC. There's definitely a huge budget going on. Yeah, I think I think we're gonna come back to some of these issues with our dangling threads, but let's let's go to MVP and Jimbo, I am I am interested to what your MVP is. My MVP is the chosen one. I like that Buffy is the chosen one. And then not only is Buffy the chosen one, but the chosen one is always a female. I really like that. The fact that we we don't start at the beginning, I do love that. Like we start like Buffy's already the chosen one. She's already a slayer. It doesn't highlight it very well, but it does highlight the tragedy of the chosen one. You know, the way she just spells it all out like, oh, I don't have a life. I don't have any friends, blah, blah, blah. I mean, like that was just 
terrible writing and dialogue and bad acting. But I do like just the basic as far as the chosen one. If I, if I was going to watch the show, I would hope that they would dive into that more and maybe elaborate and do that better in future episodes or, or at least the series. I told you that the dialogue relates a little bit to my MVP. My MVP is a very specific scene in a very specific moment. It is when Buffy is fighting the avatar of the bad guy vampire. You know, not the bad guy trying to get out of the church, but his his head henchman. When she takes the spear and throws it through the window and he gets tricked into thinking that it's daylight. And then she's like, no, dumbass, it's that's nine hours from now. And that's how she kills him. That was funny and clever. It was a nice illustration of Buffy's character. And the reason that is kind of my MVP is because I mentioned it slightly, but Joss Whedon is the creator, is the writer, was the showrunner. He directed this episode, both pilots, uh, first and second episode. And the reason that that name might be familiar to some people who are not Buffy the Vampire Slayer fans is because Joss Whedon became the mega Marvel director. You know, he directed um, the Avengers to, you know, box office glory and critical acclaim. He directed um, Avengers 2, Age of Ultron to box office glory, not as much critical acclaim, but... You know, he had some creative issues with Marvel Studios. The reason that that scene is my MVP is because that scene, almost like the smallest glimpse of what Whedon would bring to Avengers. You know, he would bring that wit. He would bring that character development. He would show, not tell. And the rest of the pilot is rough, you know. But there's that one moment where, you know, you can see the guy who's going to make both the awesome Battle of New York, but also the shawarma scene. You know, he's got he's got the big picture, but he's also got the small human moments. And I feel like Buffy the Vampire Slayer is going to be integral to making Joss Whedon the director that he would need to become to make the Avengers. And so that's, I still remember that moment of her breaking the window and tricking the guy as like probably my favorite moment of the first season. Maybe not one of my favorite moments of the entire series, but definitely like a highlight and a memorable moment. So that's my MVP. I'm glad I'm glad Josh Eaton grew a lot after after Buffy the Vampire Slayer. He grew through Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Through well, good. I'm glad there was growth. <laughs> All right, so now we're gonna take a look at some dangling threads. Just some thoughts or ideas. Pull on those threads, you know, get closer and closer to hoisting or not to hoist. Jimbo, when we were discussing the next show to pick, you told me that you had a little backstory, a little history with Buffy the Vampire Slayer, but not the television show. So can you talk to me about your impressions of the movie and how did it relate to your overall impression of this TV show while it was on? I haven't watched Buffy the Vampire Slayer, the movie, in a long time. But I remember loving that movie as a kid. And in fact, because I liked that movie, I always had the idea of watching Buffy the Vampire Slayer in the back of my mind. I don't think I was ever interested in watching it when it, when it was on TV, at least not when I was in high school. I do like Josh Wheaton. I love Firefly. I tried to read some Buffy the Vampire Slayer comic books, but I just eh, wasn't really feeling it. As I was watching this show, really wanted to watch the movie instead i just i'm kind of curious like i think the budget in the movie was probably a lot better than the budget for for the tv show 
the movie probably has to hold up a lot better than the TV show. And maybe I'll go back and watch like at least a few scenes. I, but I remember the TV, I mean, the movie being funny. She may not have had her dukes up, but I remember her being a lot more badass and having a lot more personality in the movie. And to just add on to that, I, I didn't think Sarah Michelle did a very good job, man. Like, hopefully she gets better because... I want to come back to that. Give me a sec because I want to come back to that. My thoughts on the movie to show connection... It's always been an urban myth or an urban legend that Buffy the Vampire Slayer, the TV show, was a continuation of the movie. Because I, I too, haven't watched the movie in a while, but I kind of feel like I remember the ending of the movie did involve burning down a gym or killing a bunch of vampires all at once. I would like to rewatch it because if there's all these jokes about, you know, getting kicked out of high school and her having to go to another school, that's kind of cool that they're trying to make this connection. I will say this as a little bit of backstory. You know, Joss Whedon had some jobs before doing the Buffy the Vampire Slayer movie. Came up in like the Roseanne, the Roseanne show's writers' room. Pitched this weird, crazy movie that actually got made. Uh, he did have some plans for it afterwards, but just I don't. I, I'll do some more research, but I don't think it did well at the box office. It was a weird movie, but I also remember really liking it. What then occurred was Joss Whedon had the chance to market a show on the WB, and they wanted to change the name to Slayer to make it more adult or make it more, you know, broad based. But Joss Whedon was just like, nope, it's Buffy the Vampire Slayer. And he really fought for his vision. And I'll say this, I got into the show by watching later episodes of season three. And then my first official end to end season was season four, while I was again, scouring the underside of the internet for episodes in MPEG format. So I'll say this, like the first season or two is the second season. A lot of people think is the best one. The first season is definitely rough. I don't know if I would have gotten into the show if I'd started watching from the pilot on. I very much agree with some of these these assessments that we're making. But I want to come back to this idea. We also talked before the show about your impression of Sarah Michelle Gellar. Can you talk about that in relation to the show? How you felt before the pilot and how you feel after the pilot? I never liked her as an actress. Even when I was a young, shallow teenager, I never really, I didn't think she was that hot. I liked Reese Witherspoon better. Yeah, so I never liked her. I don't really, I don't really remember her in anything else besides that one movie with her and Reese Witherspoon and, and the other dude, and then Buffy the Vampire Slayer. But yeah, I didn't didn't gain any respect for for Sarah Michelle. She's in the two pilot, whatever you want to call it, episodes. She's a pretty bad actor, or she's given the worst script ever. One of the two, probably not the worst script ever. But anyways. I feel about the same, but I do remember you saying something about thinking that she was like a villain character, and that's why you liked her in this. What I was talking about was, if you never watched Buffy the Vampire Slayer, the late 90s and early 2000s were kind of rough for Sarah Michelle Gellar. She was kind of like the bitch in a lot of movies, like the cold, like femme fatale, or she was like popular and like shitting on like less popular people. Or, you know, there just weren't a ton of, in my opinion, sympathetic roles for her. I'm trying to remember that Reese Witherspoon movie title because I know exactly what you're talking about. She makes out with Cruel Intentions. Player. Cruel Intentions. That's it. Dangerous Connections could have also worked as a title. But yeah, <laughs> she just, she wasn't in a lot of great movies because there was another movie. I can't remember the title too, but I was into Buffy at that point. So I was like, I'll watch this movie about Sarah Michelle Gellar and a magic crab cooking foods that make this guy fall in love with her. It was a bad late 90s romantic comedy, but I was giving it a shot for you know, SMG over here. Yeah, she wasn't really delivering. I will say this, from like the middle of the second season of Buffy through the end of season four, 
is real, real strong acting. And a lot of people say that her fight choreography got a lot better. You know how like LeBron and Michael Jordan would like work on something in the off season and come back with like a brand new post move or a fadeaway? Like Sarah Michelle Gellar went into the off season, came back with some better fight choreography. So her dukes are most certainly up in later seasons. And, you know, her kicks are a little bit better. But that really cool moment I called out in the pilot, we get a lot more of those halfway through second season on. Yeah, a lot of people feel like the fourth season had some really great, interesting things, and it never got the Emmy loves it should have gotten. But yeah, the first season is rough. I think, though, that Sarah Michelle Gellar grows with the show, as does Joss Whedon in his writing. My defense is rested. I think your defense may be sufficient enough to for me to give Buffy one more chance, maybe season three. I'll, I'll dive into it at some point in life. So do we have any more threads? Um, I'm looking over my notes, and I, th- I think I'm good. The music and the fashion, we could, we could discuss that again briefly. I like how you mentioned the skateboarding incident. He was not lifting his board at all. I don't feel like he was riding a skateboard. We never saw the skateboard. So, I mean, I got to imagine that's some kind of tracking shot. But in my head, I was like, that's not how you ride a skateboard. That's not how you maneuver a skateboard. This is annoying. Some 90s things were cute. Other things just pulled me out of the experience. So... If you want to throw one more music, fashion, or 90s thing out there, I feel like it's worth saying. Nothing really comes to mind. I'm looking at all my notes, and there's a few specifics about the crappy writing and dialogue, and that's, you know, that's about it. Fair. Then, yeah, my, my threads are no longer dangling. They have been plucked and pulled to fruition. Let us move on. Jimbo, we have gotten to the point in the pod where we are going to decide to hoist or not to hoist. Has this pilot been hoisted on its own petard? Did it get blown up by its own bomb? Or was it great? So let's 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 take this slow. Let's first talk about whether we'll watch this show, which you touched on in Dangling Threads. I'll start off. Will I watch this show again? No. There's a lot of stuff I want to watch. There's something I'm going to put in the petardar as a recommendation that kind of takes the place of watching this show, there are like three episodes that I can go back to and watch, and they'll totally give me exactly what I want from this show. So no, not going to rewatch. As I mentioned, I might give season three a shot. Very short leash. Very short leash. I will say I might. Not anytime soon. Fair. So Jimbo, to hoist or not to hoist, what is your judgment? Dude, this is the easiest decision I've ever made in my entire life, dude. Hoist. Why? <laughs> Give me your elevator pitch. If you gotta, if you gotta say why you're hoisting in sixty seconds, go. Terrible acting, horrible dialogue, bad writing, poor cinematography, characters you don't really like. I mean, just pretty much everything we talked about this whole show. Indeed, and uh, this is a strong hoist for me. This is this is a pilot that is falling on its petard. They're rolling over each other. The pilot feels like maybe I can get away. The petard's like, uh, uh-uh. uh. It has been hoisted on its own petard. That petard blew up. The metaphor is complicated, so I'm going to abandon it. This is a bad pilot. I'm surprised Josh Whedon walked away from this. I, I'm surprised Josh Whedon, from what I have heard, he's a charismatic, smart guy, good storyteller. He actually did some ghost writing on the original Toy Story script. So he's got some juice. He must be great in a meeting to get 12 episodes which was the first season and a renewal for a second season off this pilot he must be impressive in the room the room where it happens or wb viewers are even dumber than your average american all right well this was a pilot hoisted on its petard it's our first pilot that got hoisted on a petard and so i hope we have a special effects sound
Let's move on to our Patardar. These are recommendations based on the pilot, based on if you liked it, what's something you could recommend. If you didn't like it, what's something better in the genre? So I'll go first. On my Patardar, based on the Buffy pilot, is actually the reason I don't have to rewatch Buffy is there's a pretty cool podcast, two female hosts called Buffering the Vampire Slayer podcast, where they go episode by episode. And they just talk about the show. They talk about the production. They talk about the characters. They're real fun because they have jingles for a lot of characters. If you have watched Buffy the Vampire Slayer multiple times as I have, Buffering the Vampire Slayer podcast is totally for you. You'll totally get into it. And actually, much like the show, the first season's a little bit rough. But by the second season, they totally have their legs under them, much like the show. And they really hit their stride in the third season. It's a, it's a must listen for me every week. I enjoy the hosts. You can skip the mailbag episodes. I don't care for them. But if you just want to pick up with the second season, that's fine. And another recommendation based on this is another iffy WB teen drama series, Roswell. If you enjoyed the pilot and you leaned into the camp and how kind of you know cheesy it was, go watch Roswell. You will not be unhappy. Get it at the library or it's on a streaming service somewhere. Uh, Jimbo, how about you? I'll say the old school movie, Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Someone's into vampires. I would recommend the Anne Rice. Um, I haven't read any of her books. I feel like her vampire movies are maybe the cream of the vampire crop in film. If anyone likes the genre-ness of this show as far as unbelievable plot and just a lot of stuff not making sense. If you want a darker version of this that's a lot better, you know, superhero type, watch Gotham. Gotham is a lot better and is really bad for a lot of the similar reasons. Uh, Jimbo, talk to us about our next episode. Our next episode, we are going to dive into One Punch Man. I am excited to go into One Punch Man. I think uh, One Punch Man has a lot to offer. I read one or two of the manga books, and I did. I have seen one or two episodes. But uh, long story short, we have our main character decides he's going to become a superhero because he's he's bored. Something cool, if you want to watch with us, One Punch Man is available streaming on Netflix. And something cool about next week's episode is neither Jimbo nor I have watched the full series. So this will be a Pilots and Petards based solely on the pilot. Well, join us next episode for One Punch Man. Every day we hoistling. Yeah, every day we're hoistling. And uh, if you want to contact us on social media, we are the... Pilots and Petards, with an N in the middle, Pilots and Petards podcast on Twitter. And Jimbo, where can you find us on the interwebs? I'll get back to you, because right now, we we haven't finalized our, our web location, but we will soon. Good to know. Pilots and Petards podcast on Twitter. Leave us lots of messages, lots of mentions, and eventually, please give money to our non-existent Patreon. And be the first to make your voice heard and be the the motivation behind an episode. We'd love to hear from you. But until then, uh, this is Drew, avoiding those petards in my own life. Yes, and if you're still listening, I, I'm sorry, we have been just dragging on. You're still, and you're still here, that's almost embarrassing. You probably enjoyed Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Jimbo out. <laughs>